Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Good afternoon, everybody. My name is Benjamin Cook. I'm one of the programmers of the experiment section. Um, I'd like to welcome you to this uh, symposium uh, this afternoon, and just a f just a few thank yous. Uh, a few a few organisations have supported this afternoon. Uh, the British thank you to the British Council, to the Arts, Coun Arts Council England, and to the University of Westminster. And um, I'd just like to introduce now the chairperson of the afternoon, um, May <laughs> May's here, and um, shall I hand over to you to. Uh, to um, make the proper introductions. Okay. Thanks very much, Ben. And thank you for um, the experimental strand of the London Film Festival uh, for bringing, bringing us all together and making this event happen. Um, I'm really, really uh, thrilled to have the three curators, artists, and speakers here with me. And so gratifying to see so many of you out here and this afternoon. So I'm May Inkawanit. I'm the co-director of the Center for Research and Education in Arts and Media, University of Westminster. Um, and we've been invited uh, to come on board as a partner for this afternoon's event. Uh, I'll organize our three, uh, sorry, introduce our three guests. Um, Shai Heredia, uh, artist, curator, and guest programmer. Uh, at this year's festival. Uh, Shai is the founder of Experimenta India and also a lecturer at Shristi School of Art, Design and Technology. And we also have Sikri Mansur, uh, who is a researcher and curator of Forum Lenteng in Jakarta in Indonesia. And Forum Lenteng is uh, an independent cultural organization and one of the uh, most long-standing and successful, a real shining beacon of, in terms of independent cultural organization and activism in Southeast Asia. And lastly, our guest, uh, Hung Chan, who is a curator uh, doing lots and lots of projects in Vietnam, um, such as Onion Cellar, which is a curatorial uh, project. Uh, probably the, the youngest of the three uh, initiatives um, uh, that our guests here are involved in. So in terms of how we're going to um, uh, organize the symposium this afternoon, um, what we thought we'd do is kick things off with a screening program. So Shai, Sikri, and Hung um, have selected, each selected a moving image work, uh, which 
they feel speak particularly strongly to um, the initiatives that they'll be talking to you about later on, uh, and also these uh, aims, aspirations, and dreams of, of the various moving image and cultural initiatives that they each have initiated or are very centrally involved in. So we'll start with uh, showing three works, um, and they each will introduce the works uh, that they've selected to share with us today. Uh, and then they will give you a quick presentation um, just to help you place the sort of initiatives and works that they're doing uh, in Asia and also to help you place the works that they've selected to show. And then after that, we thought we'd open out to uh, what we hope will be a very rich uh, and informal and flowing discussion um, between the speakers and panelists and with the audience members. Okay, so should we kick off? Um, first work would be Shai. Shai yeah. Yeah. Okay, so the film you're going to see is called uh, This Bit of That India by SNS Shastri. It was made in 1972. Uh, the film um, kind of represents a project that we've been involved with called Excavating Indian Experimental Film. Uh, this is a work that came out of Films Division India, which was uh, the propagandist film unit uh, that was actually making a lot of experimental work. So what I'm going to do is rather dry. I'm just going to read out the synopsis. Um, but I think that the synopsis and how it was, writ how it, it was written um, in, will give you a sense of um, what the film is looking at. So this bit of that India is a layered reflection on youth culture, diversity, progress, education, technology, and sexuality. The film juxtaposes documentary moments that celebrate individual freedom with a theatrical performance of Federico Garcia Lorca's The House of Bernada Alba as a metaphor for repression and conformity. Okay, enjoy. Yep, uh, the second film titled Dan Hujan Pun Turun, or The Rain After in English, made by Muhammad Fauzi in 2015. Uh, Muhammad Fauzi is a member of Forum Lenteng also, and this film is part of uh, his individual project. Uh, was shot in uh, a location in Jakarta. And this work is very simple, actually, uh, because uh, it's like a, a footage uh, of a group of children standing in front of the camera and thinking that the filmmaker taking a photograph of them. Uh, but the uh, Muhammad Fauzi make it as a video works. So enjoy. Hi. Um, so the final work of selection is called um, Force Brillante. Um, it was made last year in Hanoi by um, a young Vietnamese filmmaker called Tho An Hoang. Um, it's actually quite difficult to describe the work um, without giving away too much. So I'm just going to say that this is sort of um, a political ghost story. So I hope you like it. Yep, uh, thank you. Uh, in in this presentation, I will share uh, to you about uh, uh, our initiative in Jakarta uh, to develop a film festival. Because uh, in Forum Lenteng, we have uh, one main program. It's like a, a annually film festival, uh, namely Archipel. It's a, 
the the complete na- the complete name of the festival is Jakarta International Documentary and Experimental Film Festival, and this uh, film uh, is the first uh, f- film festival in Indonesia who used the the words experimental. So I will explain to you how this uh, film festival uh, developed by Forum Lenteng using the community-based approach. Uh, I think that uh, to learn more or to understand how uh, some initiative in Indonesia uh, working, it's uh, important to uh, reference about the uh, reformation in 1998 because uh, uh, the downfall of the Suharto regime opened the uh, the opportunity and uh, the freedom of expression in Indonesia after uh, 32 years uh, of dictatorship uh, era. And after this uh, reformation, uh, everybody can make uh, their own media. And after that, uh, there was uh, a situation where the, the media uh, in Indonesia uh, only... Uh, powered by s- uh, certain groups, uh, only certain groups who has a, a, a models, big models, and also uh, a big corporation to to operate the the media, mass media. I mean, so it's like uh, this is a map of media concentration in Indonesia, uh, researched by Marina Lim about the situation after the uh, political change in Indonesia. And also, at the same time, uh, after the Reformation era in Indonesia, there's, there, there, were, there was some uh, uh, grassroots uh, activism and also uh, some group uh, who used the uh, video as a main pulse to uh, express uh, or as, uh, give their aspiration. And also, uh, trying to experiment about this uh, technology. So... Beside the social activism, they all, the, the groups also thinking about the, uh, how to develop or uh, observe new aesthetic of the uh, media art. And also, uh, in 1999, uh, there was uh, one film festival, uh, Film Video Independent Indonesia, uh, this uh, festival conducted by Confident, the name of the group uh, is acronym actually, uh, Comunitas Film Independent or Independent Film Community in Indonesia. And uh, in 2001, this uh, film festival changed its name, become a, a short film festival Confident. And this uh, festival uh, become the 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 first uh, film festival after the the reformation who talk about the independent filmmaker uh, come together to to develop uh, a festival as uh, the main way to express their interest and also another some movement related to moving image there was a OK Video Festival. This is the poster of uh, OK Video Festival. This, the first one, the second one, and the third one. And I think the, the, the third festival is the most important because in OK Video Milicia in 2007, the, the festival organized by Ruang Rupa in Jakarta, 
uh, made a workshop in several cities in Indonesia. Uh, the workshop is about the how to uh, use video. So they 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 involve common people to 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 be part of these uh, activities. So the artists collaborate with the local people there and making uh, uh, artworks using the video. And also uh, this network from Ruang Rupa and also Confident and also other activists, cultural activists and artists uh, trying to develop the, some other festival in other cities uh, through the friendship. It's like, that's why, that's why I said the spirit of Gotong Royong. Gotong Royong is like local philosophy in Indonesia where the people help each other without thinking about the feedback. So just help your friends and we will go uh, together. And in this, uh, this two festival, uh, the, the one is Purbalingga Film Festival. It's like a local festival to screen films in a common people house. So they, they have no venue, so they, they, they only uh, involve the local people in, the, in Purbalingga city to join the festival. So the audience also become the, the uh, people who con conduct the festival. And the people don't, do not need to, uh, to, they don't ask money to, to do this. So uh, the, the organizer, the, the CLC Purbalingga and the people is very close and very kind to each other and they just do this festival because they love the, the festival, uh, they love uh, films. And also the same cases in, in Jatiwangi villages, they conduct village video festival. Also they invite some artists from other city to come to Jatiwangi and collaborate the, with the local people and they present the, the artworks in the uh, common people house, as you see in the, in the picture. So the, the background is uh, uh, it's like uh, the, the spirit that, that Forum Lenteng brings also is the same, how to develop this uh, uh, festival with the, uh, the community-based approach. That's that what I mean with this community-based approach is actually uh, how to, uh, to use uh, social capital not 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 based only money but with your friendship with other collective to develop the 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 events and also uh, internally in in our organization uh, actually we have so many programs uh, uh, focusing on the uh, collaboration with local people and local collective in other city for example like akumasa and also mushroom project we invite some uh, students to involve in our uh, uh, activity and our projects to to do uh, to produce uh, artworks, and with this uh, division or this project, contribute each other. So it's like uh, some uh, one division give uh, uh, materials to other division. So we we collect these uh, materials and also uh, we use it as uh, main part to to thinking about how to amplify this uh, content uh, globally. Uh, uh, through the, the festival archipel. And Akumasa is the main program uh, which uh, develop uh, some workshop uh, with local people also in other city 
focusing on video and from this uh, networking local networking we we uh, trying to develop the the net uh, the network so in archipel festival we have uh, uh, also a program like uh, its name is forum festival and some of the participants in Akumasa we always invited in, in uh, to come to the festival so to build the audience of the festival. This is the forum festival. And so uh, in this presentation I, I, I want to explain to you also because mostly of the festival like video festival, media art festival in Indonesia uh, trying to develop by the community based approach but uh, before there is no festival who, who trying to explain the discourse uh, theoretically or academically. So in in Archipel, we try to make and make a forum to to talk about the the, the aesthetic of the community, how the community uh, talking uh, their artworks, their their practices, and the forum of the forum festival of Archipel is I think is the first uh, symposium who focusing on films. Uh, as uh, 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 in, in, in the context of how films build up in the form of aesthetically, visually, because uh, in other festival, film festival in Indonesia are always talking about narratively and don't, do not thinking about the visual context. So the archipel also become the the way how to this local uh, collective connect with the lo lo uh, global networking through the forum festival and also because this fest this festival uh, developed internationally and we invite uh, 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 guests from uh, other countries and in the forum they can meet each other and also the 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 archipel try. Uh, wants to educate the, about how how cinema uh, actually working because uh, cinema is not only talking about the how to share your uh, uh, narration to the people it's not talking it's not about making uh, narrative things but how to make people understand about the visual working how the media mechanism uh, also working in our uh, perception that's why I choose uh, the Durain after by Muhammad Fauzi because I think this this works uh, give us uh, expanding and uh, give us opportunity to expand our understanding on on visual works and also about the media works. Um, you know the the film is provoking not only the audience but also the subject when they. Sh when Muhammad Fauzi shot the, the film. So uh, it's like to connect uh, the, the sense or the feeling of the audience also with the subject that when, they, when he shot the films. And also, I think that through this way, uh, Muhammad Fauzi talking about how the film medium is really works. And this kind of aesthetic of the films is actually what uh, Archipel thinking about uh, how the the local people, the common people, also thinking about the, the the film in a sense of the aesthetic of the visual, not only for the narrative. That's uh, because in Indonesia, I think mainstream uh, or industry uh, film festival also uh, only uh, always think about film based on the story, 
they 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 rarely thinking about the visual how visual works and because of that in 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 our festival we also experiment how to present the uh, the films not only for the screening but also in exhibition this is the culture cinema exhibition uh, one of the uh, program in our uh, archipel festival that we collect some archives about the history cinema the story of cinema in indonesia and we try to present them in exhibition uh, form not for the screening and i think that through this networking uh, and also how uh, archipel develop the the we we trying to expand the term the meaning of the experimental not only about talking the the form of the film but also the strategy to to build the discourse of film in indonesia thank you Hi, um, so my name is Hung Chun and um, I'm from Vietnam. And um, today I'm going to talk about um, the scene of moving image in Vietnam. Um, so, um, just a bit of information about myself first, I guess. Um, so, during the day, I work um, in a contemporary art gallery in Ho Chi Minh City, Kong Kai Quynh, um, as the um, project manager. Um, but on the side, I also put on um, film screenings and gigs um, for my own project called The Onion Seller. Um, we don't actually have any um, physical location, so we put on things in um, different venues in um, both Hanoi and Ho Chi Minh City. Um, and um, the, um, the kind of stuff that we do um, ranges from um, um, dip across different genres, basically. Uh, so anything from um, documentary to video art to moving image um, to um, in terms of music. Um, South art or noise rap, or, uh, experimental pop music, and a lot of different things. Um, and last year, um, together with some other um, people, we um, initiated the first edition of a festival dedicated to moving image called the Out of Frame uh, Festival. Um, it happened in Ho Chi Minh City um, um, over a week in October last year. Um, and at the moment, we're trying to um, do the second edition of the festival. Um, I'm going to go into more detail about the festival um, in a bit. And now I'm going to talk a bit about um, the general context of the scene in Vietnam. Um, moving image in Vietnam is um, um, a pretty recent phenomenon, um, so to speak. So before the war, um, the, cinema in Viet the Vietnamese cinema was mostly populated by um, propaganda products, uh, mostly associated with the governmental sector. Uh, up until very recently, um, this remained um, um, a, a phenomenon in uh, a major phenomenon in, in, in the scene. And um, to this day, I mean, people, uh, the government people, still produce um, this kind of um, outdated propaganda stuff. Um, and then towards the um, late 1990s, um, there was a bloom in commercial blockbusters. And then. Um, the moving image scene really kind of took off towards the end of the 2000s. Um, this is a film still from uh, a film called Letters from Panduranga, Panduranga by Nguyen Ching Thi, um, a very important player of the scene. Um, in 2009, she founded um, a place called Hanoi Doklav. That was originally um, dedicated to train people in uh, narrative documentary. But later on, um, they would kind of branch out into other um, more experimental and unconventional practices. 
Uh, and then we also got a place called TPD Center, uh, which is also about um, um, documentary filmmaking. Um, so in relation to Hanoi Talk Lab, um, so they got um, an annual festival dedicated to video work um, called Hanoi Talk Fest. Um, and at the moment, uh, the festival is already uh, in its sixth edition. And then uh, moving image works are also showed in um, uh, exhibitions uh, such as this place called Yasan in Hanoi. For some reason, um, most of these more experimental stuff um, happened mostly in Hanoi. Um, and in the South, for some reason, I don't know why, but um, we don't actually have a lot of um, things in this direction happening. Um, and yeah, um, young filmmakers and artists working in, in uh, moving image um, are mostly associated with the aforementioned um, initiatives and projects. Um, so they also got exposed to um, different um, creative practices from all over the world um, through these um, um, places and projects. Um, but in terms of cinema exhibitions, um, we have a lot of um, obstacles. And to mention a few, we um, don't actually have any stable sources of funding. The audiences are small, and also um, there are a lot of um, obstacles from the government. In terms of funding, um, so uh, basically governmental funding for um, the sort of um, alternative um, cultural practices are literally non-existent. And um, most of the people working in the scene uh, had to depend on funding from um, foreign cultural institutions based in Vietnam, um, such as the Goethe Institute or the Japan Foundation or the British Council. Um, but obviously, um, so when you work with these organizations, uh, obviously um, there are some agendas that you had to stick with. And so um, there isn't really any um, complete autonomy in terms of programming and in terms of uh, how you run these projects. Um, so the situation is not really ideal. Um, but for my own project, um, the only seller, I only um, um, so the funding also so the, the funding really uh, only comes internally, and we um, we work primarily with ticket sales, and we don't have any um, external funding from any um, other sources. Um, in terms of the government obstacles, um, basically in Vietnam, officially, when you do um, a film screening, for instance, you have to submit the film to uh, a governmental body um, to, for them to um, basically go through the film and to censor anything that they do not like. And so um, in the underground scene, basically people um, bypass this process. And um, so that's the reason why they had to remain underground um, to, um, to, to, um, to not go through all these uh, censorship process. Um, there are also some evasion strategies, basically, um, um, when you have to go around this process. Um, one of the things that I um, kind of employ is to um, not sticking with any um, physical location. So basically, we kind of move around. Uh, we have um, a kind of uh, a nomadic assistance. And this way, basically, uh, it's going to make it more difficult for the government to track you and you know, to keep track of things that you do. and. So you have a bit more freedom in that respect. Um, and now I'm going to go more into, into more detail about um, the Out of Frame Festival that we organized last year in Ho Chi Minh City. Um, 
basically the starting point of the festival was pretty simple and um, there were primarily two goals that we wanted to achieve. Um, first of all being um, to show moving image works in Vietnam, to have like a whole festival dedicated to um, this kind of work. And um, the second goal basically was to um, um, take cinema out of uh, conventional cinema and exhibition settings and uh, to bring them out onto the street and to bring them to um, non-conventional locations. Um, this is something that I've been um, trying to achieve with um, the onion seller, but basically without a frame we want to take to, we, without a frame we wanted to take things um, even further. Um, so the festival took place over a week in October. Um, so basically, um, so a film screening uh, every night in um, all sorts of different locations. Um, so we have all kinds of shops, um, and we have um, bookstores, and we have also um, just like private houses um, and um, kitchens, and even uh, out on the street. So basically, what we wanted to do was to uh, um, uh, essentially to organize um, house parties, but for um, cinema. Uh, so this took place in a cafe um, in Ho Chi Minh City. Uh, in um, a private place. Um, in terms of funding, we um, got funding from um, the Japan Foundation for this festival. Um, but looking back, I guess um, the situation was indeed not really ideal and um, there were some kind of compromises that we had to make uh, in terms of programming decisions and uh, in terms of some other things. Um, so at the moment, uh, the main thing is to try and to um, be a bit more independent in this respect, and to um, to basically find funding from other sources that you know we wouldn't have to compromise uh, necessarily. Um, so this is a decal shop, and we just had um, a TV monitor, and we show frames uh, for that monitor. Um, so in conclusion, um, the big, the biggest thing that we currently having to face in uh, in Vietnam um, is a funding issue. Um, as we speak, um, I found out last week that um, the Hanoi Top Lab, that is normally based out of um, the Goethe Institute in Hanoi, and also um, got primarily funding from uh, from the Goethe Institute. Um, I found out last week that they're gonna have to move out um, of the Goethe Institute very soon, and um, Although the funding is also going to be um, really quick. Um, so that's primarily the issue that we, um, that we are trying to um, solve in Vietnam in the uh, moving image uh, community. Um, and that's it for my presentation. Thank you. OK. Um, hi, I'm Shai Haredia. Um, I'm a filmmaker and I also run Experimenta, which is uh, a film festival in India for experimental film. Uh, Experimenta started in 2003. Um, it started very much in collaboration with Ben and the Lux. Um, I remember back in the day when I showed up and was like, I need some films to be sent to India and I don't have any money. He was... Um, a bit shocked, but super supportive. And then in that year, in 2003, we had 15 films from the Lux. Um, 
and over three days, this was in Bombay, um, and over three days we had about 400 people. So that was kind of interesting and crazy, and so everybody was like, this has to become a festival, this has to become a regular thing. So Experimenta then went on on an annual basis till about 2007, when it moved to Bangalore, and then we, ever since, it's been on for uh, every two years. Um, so essentially the festival started um, in, um, in, uh, uh, as a response to the hegemony of Bollywood, really. Um, I think that the festival was based in Bombay. Um, there was a community of us filmmakers who um, had access and exposure to a lot of work from various parts of the world, but we didn't really have a community. Um, I mean, we didn't really have a, a community which had an exhibition platform for us to not only look at our works, but look at other works on a more regular basis. Um, the way we got access to work was really through people um, studying abroad, bringing back VHS tapes, et cetera, or through um, you know, the, the, the government-funded international film festivals. So there was a dire need to, to, to actually have a in more independent space. So, so after this first year where we showed you know, a lot of works essentially from the Western avant-garde, you know, works by Michael Snow and Stan Brakhage and Peter Gidal and people like that, um, what we began to then do was actually begin to work on and look back at the history of experimental film in India. Um, there was an understanding that uh, what we had been told was the independent, I mean, was the avant-garde work was um, a very specific canon of about six men. Um, and that was a problem. So, um, so we kind of began to go back. I mean, I began to work in some of the archives, and one of the archives was Films Division. Um, so there was a lot of work being made at Films Division, uh, again by men, but the point is that the access to, access to this work was very limited. We didn't even know that these films existed. Um, and uh, so essentially what happened at Films, so Films Division, as I said before, was the government propagandist unit of the state, um, and they made, as you saw, films that were essentially about trying to um, you know, uh, build this narrative of the nation of India, um, which does not really exist and continues to not. I mean, and I say that because we're very, it's a very fragmented country with different regions and different languages and, you know, uh, different cultural specificities. But um, the, so this construct of India um, was uh, created through these films that were sent out to, th to thousands of theaters across the country. So, you, so we, within that, that archive of work, there was a lot of really interesting experimental film. Um, and so I began to show that at Experimenta. And I continue to show, the, show those works over the years. And I continue to work on this project, which is called Excavating Indian Experimental Film, because the idea really is to, to have this, to facilitate um, and support a dialogue um, between the historical and the contemporary. Um, as you know, the history of Indian cinema is quite rich and complex. Um, and so within that space, we attempt to find ideas and a discourse, really, through which we can situate our own practices as well, experimental filmmakers or filmmakers who operate on the margins or as, um, you know, um, who consider, we consider ourselves artists, filmmakers. So, so yeah, so essentially, so that's 
what Experimenta has been doing as an international festival. We show works from across the world. We invite curators from, from various parts of the world. Um, and it's very rooted in the community of Bangalore. We have quite a, quite, quite, quite a large audience. Um, and the, the, the one issue, of course, that we uh, have, as everyone else has also talked about, is funding, um, funding for the arts. Um, so we, every couple of years or every time there's an experiment and one starts from scratch, uh, we happen to get some funding from a random kind of sponsor. But we have a lot of support from spaces like the Goethe Institute, Pro Helvetia. The festival happens at the Goethe Institute. Uh, the British Council has supported us in the past. Um, so, but actual funding is a problem. Uh, the, we do not have an arts council in the country. Uh, the, the government funding really is towards um, more, uh, you know, traditional dance and uh, traditional craft uh, work that actually is things, is practices that can be exported uh, for diplomacy, essentially. So in terms of contemporary art, um, and film, it's difficult to get support. The other issue is, of course, that experimental film falls between the cracks. Um, it's not documentary, it's not narrative, it's not, you know, a visual art. I mean, even the visual art context attempts is grappling with what experimental film is. So it's difficult in terms of which, um, which space through which we can get funding. Um, fortunately, education institutions like the one that I work for, Srishti, which supports a lot of experimental practice um, with new media art, with film, with sound, um, offers some funding. It's very limited, but enough to make it happen. And actually, in 2009, we had a situation where we had no money. Literally, like everything was, people gave spaces for free, you know, so it was, so, and that year was when, you know, I realized, I said, if we can do the festival without money, we can always do the festival, you know, um, somehow. Um, and fortunately, that's been, that's kind of been, uh, I mean, now we're in our 10th edition, which is great. It's, I mean, it, it's this year, at the end of November, it's going to be a big celebration, because it's quite crazy and amazing that we're still around. Um, the other thing that we also, we show both 16 digital and 35. 35 is more difficult, but we still try to stay committed to 16mm um, and um, try to show as much 16 as we can. We also run, um, you know, hand processing film labs. Uh, so people work with Super 8 and 16. So as a filmmaker, I also work with Super 8 and 16. So that's something that I'm interested to uh, facilitate that practice. Um, so yeah, so but maybe I don't have a PowerPoint presentation, but what I have is a is a kind of is the the the, the film that we the film that we'd made for the one time we crowdfunded and we made a lot of money. That was the one year that we actually had like excess funding, but. Um, it's a, uh, it's, uh, yeah. So, I mean, just to give you a vibe, it's just a. I think our sense of um, how this last uh, hour of this afternoon, uh, we hope will go, um, you know, is very much sort of free flowing, um, informal conversation. Um, we don't have a sort of specific task and briefs in mind for this part of the conversation. So at any point, if anybody would like to come in,
uh, make a comment and ask some things, please just sort of wave your hands um, and I will hand over to you. Um, anyone like to start? If not, I'll do my job. <laughs> Kick things off. Um, so as uh, you guys were talking, um, there were certain sort of recurring keywords, which I thought was really interesting, uh, that came to me. I, I will throw out one now. Um, uh, in relation to the screening program that we put together, um, we're, we're sort of, one of the things we're experimenting with, and, and the, the four of us are a kind of, in some ways, nodes in an informal network that's coming into being. Um, a couple of us have worked together quite a lot now, and. Hong and I have worked together before, so this is the first time we've met face to face. And one of the things that we've sort of strayed into doing is a kind of intercontinental programming um, where we put together screening programs largely via Skype and email. And um, uh, so in accepting the invitation to come and speak here, uh, we thought, well, that's, that's how we'd start the program. And we agreed, although we agreed very, very loosely on the basis of selecting each work, which is basically, you know, what are you about? I thought it was very interesting that a surprisingly coherent theme came up in relation to the idea of the documentary slash experimental, that each work was actually uh, an approach relating to that. So I just wanted to kick off by asking each of you to, to reflect on that, the, the place of the documentary or the documentary slash experimental. Um, in the context of moving image art practices uh, that you're very centrally involved with? Um, okay, um, that's a big question, but the thing is that, I mean, I think that, so, um, historically, at least in an Indian context, I think a lot depends on how um, uh, how the technology is introduced and how the, the technology was used back in the day. So essentially, so everybody really, you made work on 35, um, and 35mm was afforded, was, I mean, since we were a socialist state, it was the state that was actually making work essentially on 35, very little 16. Um, filmmakers in the mainstream uh, industry were working also only with 35. Uh, sh small format work like uh, 8mm and stuff was home movie, home movies really. So that was how you had access to uh, the material of celluloid. And so I think, and I think films divisions intervention or what they did with the documentary form and kind of trying to subvert, I mean essentially what these, a lot of the other films as well were quite subversive in terms of how they were actually critical of the state but being made within the state um, um, uh, institution. So I think that, and um, so I think f films division was quite an, quite an influence uh, later as well when people began to work digitally. Um, in terms of uh, in terms of a form, in terms of like working outside of narrative, um, so this kind of more montage um, Soviet style uh, work became um, the aesthetic. Of course, that in, at later in in the nineties um, there was a more kind of observational documentary work. Um, but in in the contemporary sense, actually, I mean, I think that yes, there is documentary or more kind of documentary experimental style. But I do think that there's also um, 
a more there's more kind of there's also like formal visual art kind of explorations as well um i would say that that was there were points like in the 70s where there were artists artists working with film and doing this with 35 um con in con contemporary work there is stuff like that so i think that it's not just like a kind of doc experimental documentary form though that tends to be um, predominantly how people are working, but there's also kind of a more, I mean, if one is making that separation. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I think it's a kind of larger mm -hmm. kind of relationship to different histories or different trajectories of practices. Mm. Maybe tell us a little bit more about the the maker of this bit of that India, SNS Shastri. Um, I don't know very much. I just know that SNS Shastri was from Bangalore, where I am based. He was quite important to the, the two films division. He made a lot of he made a lot of uh, work at films division, which was uh, all all of them kind of had this like wildly associative style. Um, and but the the form of, of making work, I mean, how a lot of films division work happened was people traveled around the country and filmed footage and then brought it back to the films division labs and began to work with them, uh, work with the footage. Um, so Shastri studied film in Bangalore and he um, essentially a lot of the films division filmmakers also operated as like admin staff and when they stopped doing making this experimental work a lot of them just went back to their admin jobs. Um, what was also special was that Shastri and a lot of the other filmmakers worked with, um, he was not on this film though, Vijay B. Chandra, who was the sound artist, uh, who was the sound designer for a lot of these films. Um, and the sound is always really interesting and quite experimental on a lot of the other work and this as well. So yeah, I mean generally the aesthetic with a lot of the films division stuff was quite, um, you know, um, loud and kind of bombarding you. I mean, they were in single cinemas for thousands of people, so, <laughs> you know. Yeah, I think that uh, talking about the moving image in Indonesia, uh, there is a big problem uh, that I think uh, become a forum length and concern because there is uh, a lack of knowledge about the uh, history of cinema, history of films, and also the the theory of uh, moving image also, because uh, you know, in the Sukarno era and the Suharto era, uh, we have uh, so many uh, filmmakers, uh, great filmmakers, who uh, actually ha had practices about the the experimental uh, language, but. Uh, in 32 years of uh, Suharto regime, it's like uh, uh, people only know about uh, one language of uh, visual production. And after the, the reformation and the commercial television uh, have so many uh, documentary works, everybody only knows about the like a Discovery Channel or, uh, you know, uh, conventional documentary and always thinking about documentary is also, is only one language. And in Forum Lenteng, we, we try to, to provoke the people that uh, the film is, uh, have so many kind of language that we can experiment uh, through the, the, the kind of uh, production. And in 2003, when Forum Lenteng founded, uh, 
we make a mushroom project. It's like a hybrid uh, documentary, uh, talking about. Uh, it's like a ten story about Jakarta, and we try to make a different style of documentary. And based on this uh, project, we develop uh, the the methods of the moving image production in Akumasa program. So uh, talking about documentary not always uh, give uh, provide to the audience about the story by the people who made the film and they tell everything but you can just show uh, the, the events in the in the in the film and i think this this aspect is not really discussed in in university uh, in film yeah that's why forum i think trying to amplify this uh, knowledge mm -hmm. via festival so maybe just to use the work that you selected to show, Mahmoud Fauzi's work, um, as uh, an example of the sort of educational initiative, educational activism that Forum Lending does. So that work emerged as part of a filmmaking workshop that you did? Yeah. Uh, for example, like uh, Muhammad Fauzi, mm -hmm. he, he is uh, uh, one of the participants of Akumasa program. Uh, uh, conducted by Forum Lenteng. So uh, the Akumasa, uh, so far Akumasa have a workshop in 10 cities in Indonesia and uh, Muhammad Fauzi is a participant in Depok City. So before the workshop, uh, Muhammad Fauzi not really working with uh, audiovisual technology. He, he also uh, he's not from the uh, filmmaking discipline. He's just a uh, 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 social science uh, student. And when he joined Forum Lenteng through this workshop, and they, he thinking further about, so I can make this kind of works very easy, but not easy. You you have to know the context of the location. So after the workshop, they trying. He with the, uh, his friend trying to develop their own uh, project based on the what Akumasa thinking about the visual uh, language. Mm -hmm. And the project itself talking about the how neighborhoods uh, interact each other. And because in, in Akumasa, we always emphasize to the participant that it's important to record everything, make it as your archive, because uh, related to the lack of knowledge, we have no archive about this. Uh, the, the products, you know, the, the, the film, the visual. And we have to try to develop this awareness of the archive since now. So that's why the, the Akumasa become the, the basic uh, principle of uh, what uh, Muhammad Fauzi doing with his uh, project. So the Akumasa workshop um, invites people who don't necessarily have to have training, mm -hmm. previous training in filmmaking, to come and join. And, and then what happens? You go spend time in a city. How, how does the workshop function? So uh, for the first time, Akumasa, uh, actually, uh, we, we conduct Akumasa together with uh, the local uh, groups in, in cities. So it's like uh, they ask Forum Lenteng to give a workshop because they know Forum Lenteng focus on film and, and uh, arts production. And they try to ask Forum Lenteng to give, uh, like, to share Forum Lenteng experience to making uh, 
film or video artworks such as uh, Mushroom Project. And actually, this this project, uh, this workshop, only uh, we 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 do we did the workshop for one month together with the local people. So Forum Lanteng's member come to the city and stay with them uh, for one month, and then. Uh, we talk about the history of the media, how media developed in Indonesia, how the situation, uh, contemporary situation in Indonesia, and how conglomerate, uh, media conglomeration uh, uh, have their power to control our our perception about the information and etc. And then we try to to break down the issue and then uh, uh, encourage them to to make their own information like. Uh, citizen journalism, citizen journalistic articles, and then also they, they produce uh, images and also uh, trying to make their own films based our uh, our experiment about the, the, the visual language. Because in Akumasa, we have a specific technification that we try to develop. Uh, it's like to how to reduce the subjectivity of the film makers. So we we, we trying to, you know, uh, making the the visual language become more objective based on the uh, collective uh, perception not 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 based on the subjectivity of the uh, filmmaker or the camera user that's a really interesting point of comparison to bring in Hung and your selection um, political ghost story um, because compared to uh, what Sikri how Sikri contextualizes the work of Forum Lenteng and Akumasa and, and the um, Mohamed Fassi's work. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. That you selected, in comparison, um, your work by artist... Uh, Han. Han. Uh, seems to be a much more, um, a much clearer example of the migration of the documentary or documentary stroke experimental into the spaces of contemporary art. So I just wanted you to, to talk a little bit about that. 
Um, so in the context of Vietnam, um, actually most of the people working uh, with moving image have a background in something else. Um, um, so they, uh, I mean, they are trained uh, in filmmaking, um, but um, the film schools in Vietnam are pretty much um, outdated in terms of syllabus, and um, they do not really promote um, anything new and anything um, contemporary. Uh, and so for these um, young filmmakers, they pretty much have to learn everything um, themselves, um, either through the internet or through the project that I mentioned in my presentation. Um, that kind of um, show the more unconventional worlds um, in Vietnam. Um, to go back to the example of Hanoi Top Lab, um, it actually, uh, as I mentioned, it was actually um, originally a place for narrative documentary. Um, but then over the years, in a very um, organic way, it kind of you know went into the more experimental directions and. Um, so the um, the programs that they do, the, um, the the teaching that they do, also kind of change. And um, at the moment, it's mostly about um, um, experimental practices. And indeed, um, I think Hanoi Top Lab is um, the most important place at the moment in Vietnam for um, um, experimental um, video practices. Um, about the film that I selected, um, indeed, um, the artist is also. Um, um, associated with Hanoi Top Lab, and um, the crew and the cast in the film are all members of this um, collective. Um, and so, yeah, I would say that indeed in Vietnam, um, um, moving image is pretty much uh, tied to and rooted in documentary filmmaking. And also, apart from that, I think um, quite a few of these people working uh, with moving image um, I also trained in visual arts, and then they um, decided to experiment with video, uh, and that's how things kind of came about for Vietnam. In your presentation, you raised um, some very striking points um, about the way that censorship comes in uh, and shapes uh, the tactics and the strategies um, adopted in making work and in exhibiting work. Um, and in the case of um, the film, I thought it was very, the deliberate use of, or the deliberate avoidance of using verbal utterances, um, I thought was very interest, interesting and seems to me to also have echoes with some of the works of the um, founder of Hanoi Doc Lab, uh, Trinity, uh, who herself is, um, now a very established uh, artist um, in, within contemporary art. Um, so I wondered if, if I wanted to, to get your reflection uh, on the sort of certain aesthetic tendencies which may be identifiable in the context of these really interesting works being made in Hanoi and in Ho Chi Minh City at the moment, um, particularly around the uh, uses of silence in order to paradoxically say something political. I mean, it's very much in the way that you frame this work. Whether that's a, you know that's that's part of a more widespread tendency or the particularity, the sort of uniqueness of the artists that you selected. Um, I think it's indeed pretty much um, a very. Um popular strategy that uh, people in Vietnam are employing at the moment, um, that artists in Vietnam are using. Um, 
because of the polit political context of Vietnam and uh, because of a very um, forceful way of the government to um, to interfere with uh, artists, um, we had to be very actually subtle and um, in in, um, in saying things. And indeed, um, being silent is a very effective way of, of uh, achieving that. I think compared to um, some other countries in the region, like the, um, the Philippines or Thailand, um, artists in Vietnam had to be much more um, are much more kind of, um, they are also political, but they are um, political in a very um, subtle way. And um, uh, indeed, yeah, in the film, um, so to give you a bit of context about the film that I um, showed, um, so last year during, um, so last summer, uh, there was this um, widespread campaign um, by the um, Hanoi authorities in, um, so they decided to um, cut down thousands of trees on the street. And um, there were a lot of rumors as to why they decided to, uh, to do that. Um, and one of the more popular um, rumor being that they um, wanted to use the wood um, to sell to um, private companies um, to make money, basically. Um, and so, the, um, so this campaign um, sparked a lot, a great deal of anger um, in, in the artistic community of Vietnam, and um, the film that I show was uh, a direct response to that. Um, and the people in the film, um, so they represent actually um, um, the gods that usually um, supposedly live um, around the trees, and uh, so without any trees, they kind of had to wander around and um, yeah, do things as you see in the film. And the another um, another keyword, another recurring theme that um, I thought came up in each of your presentations um, was also around this idea of the nomadic, the uh, mobility of the sites of screening, and the way that, in fact the curatorial works that you all do um, happen least often in theatrical, cinema theatrical context. Um, and again, you frame that very clearly as a strategy to, a, a tactic to survive in an authoritarian state context. Um, in the case of Experimenta, in the case of Archipel, um, the multiplicity of sites that you use to show works um, to contextualize that, would you say that that's actually part of a much longer tradition of showing images and moving images in the places that you function, or whether that is, you know, that's something that's new that comes in with new ideas about what you can do with moving image? Actually, in Indonesia, we have a tradition to uh, present uh, or showing films in public. Uh, space uh, we call it layar tancap it's like uh, to to make a screening in the field and everybody can come to to watch the the films uh, this this uh, tradition is very popular uh, since uh, Sukarno era and but uh, in 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 Suharto regime uh, this uh, kind of layar tancap tradition used by the government to propagandize their uh, efficient, and also they, they distribute the film uh, propaganda to the people using this uh, uh, layer tancap. 
uh, and after the reformation uh, so many collective artists collective try try to use this this strategy to distribute the films distribute the artworks like for example in in 2008 uh, Ruang Rupa trying to make a grobak bioskop. It's like a mobile bioskop using a wagon to, to distribute the films. But uh, they can, uh, the people who operate this wagon can make a layer tancap because in the wagon they put so many uh, tools to make the screening. So it's like the 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 division of the the project is to distribute the films or the uh, moving artworks. And also in, in Akumasa, in Formenteng, we also uh, encourage the local people to, to make the screening uh, freely in the public space or not, don't, don't thinking about the, the, the money because uh, in mostly the case, uh, the local collective or small group always thinking about the money to, to make the presentation and they, they, they don't even uh, try. So in Akumasa, we, we encourage them. Without money, you, you can make the presentation. You can, you can show your, your works uh, uh, because we have this tradition since a long time ago. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think it's not new. It's, it's, it's like to give a context in, the con in, in, in today's era. So what, what problem thing do? Uh, well, I mean, I think with experiment, I mean, we also have a similar tradition of these traveling cinemas, uh, you know, into the villages and, and things like that, where people actually travel with 35mm projectors and showed work. Uh, but with the festival, it's really, um, I mean, we actually don't show in that in like many contexts. Uh, I mean, definitely not in a um, cinema, like a pakka cinema, because one doesn't have access to that because it's just, uh, you know, it's too expensive, etc. Um, so we, the festival happens at Goethe Institute, and then we also do like a, we do, you know, gallery spaces. One year we did do a kind of a temporary structure, which we kind of created into a cinema. Um, it was this kind of artist project that was happening. Um, that was the year actually that we had no money. Um, so, but the thing is that what's actually important and the reason why, I mean, one stays at a space like the Goethe Institute is because um, the space has diplomatic immunity, so we don't get into any issues with the kind of work that we want to show. Um, so I, I kind of, I mean, you know, one hides in that space and I think that um, especially now we have quite an extreme right-wing government. Um, I'm a bit concerned, like, with this year, you know, what could potentially happen with the work that one wants to show. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think that we navigate spaces in which to screen in based on, like, what's happening that year or that period or the energy in the city even, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, so, yeah. Mm -hmm. And I suppose the really interesting um, dialectics, if you like, around uh, what are you trying to be independent from and what do you end up depending on? Um, you sort of raised that a little bit there with, with the way that you each tactically work with uh, foreign arts and cultural funders in order to gain uh, some kind of a space to be able to show um, alternative moving images. Um, 
and the way that you each, I think in each of your presentations, you all use the word independence and situate that word against um, hegemonic tendencies and practices um, stemming from sort of national authoritarian um, uh, forces. Um, but yet at the same time, I wanted, a, I was in, interested to hear you talk a little bit more about the sort of the situation that that places you in terms of the sort of context of dependency on other uh, funders, sources of soft power, uh, which you feel is actually generative for the sort of cultural activism or artistic activism work that you can do, and certain cases in which dependency on such sources create its own problems. Um, I mean, yeah, I mean, I think like Hun said, you know, it, they, many times they have to compromise on their programming and it's like if you have the Goethe Institute, you have to bring the Germans in and if you have the British Council, you have to, so therefore your programming is determined um, largely by that. Um, yeah, I think that that's something that one deals with, but uh, I think that there are ways of, um, talking about that, you know, um, putting it out there, building it into the discourse of how you're presenting work, you know. Um, and I think, you know, so, so for example, if you have like a German program, you work it out where, I mean, it might be a German curator, but you show work from various parts of the world, and then you situate the problematics of that kind of like, complex representation of nationality in the presentation of the work. Um, you know, and then you situate this issue of funding from foreign sources, et cetera, into the dialogue as to why one has to do that. So, I mean, I think that, uh, you know, I mean, in the West, it's a similar thing where if it's like the Asia focus or the, you know, so it's also how funding determines how you know things are programmed. So I think that if one is able to put it out there and talk about it, that's kind of important. I think that that's a way of negotiating the issues that are you know come about with such kind of situations. Um, it's pretty interesting um, that Shai mentioned um, the um, Goethe Institute uh, earlier and uh, the fact that they um, they are kind of uh, they have a kind of um, political immunity in, in India. Um, so for a long time, that was also the case in Vietnam, um, but unfortunately not anymore. And um, so today, even uh, with the Goethe Institute, um, they had to go through, um, officially they had to go through this um, whole censorship um, process. Um, and so um, it's not really um, a safe haven for, uh, for the community anymore, unfortunately. Um, and in terms of funding, um, so the funding is also drying down. Um, uh, the funding from these foreign cultural institutions also um, drying down. And um, so at the moment, the biggest question for us is to um, try and find um, the next um, sustainable model um, for the scene. Um, we haven't found it yet. So it remains um, a question that we have to um, try and find a way to solve uh, in the near future. 
Um, and so basically, um, foreign cultural institutions um, are not having uh, as much a role as they used to have in the past. And um, so that's kind of worrying, actually. Any questions? Um, no, I just want to say that in these kinds of contexts of like subversion, you have a really kind of rich community of practitioners, actually. I mean, like with Indonesia, I mean, it's like such a dynamic community. And even with Hanoi Doc Lab, and even in India, I think, um, you know, because one is, I mean, I think the Indian thing is like, you know, in navigating the system from the outside the whole time, um, you know, you're extremely creative with the kinds of, uh, community practices and you know so so it's 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 quite an exciting time actually mm -hmm. um, and one, I mean at least for India one can see it changing because in the last four years with this government you can see how you know of course people are concerned about how things are going to turn but at the same time there's um, you know uh, or, you know looking at new aesthetics to express oneself, like, you know, he was talking about silence, for example, and I think that that's kind of exciting in some ways, right? And I suppose another striking uh, feature that, that perhaps, to me, it's a key characteristic defining what's contemporary about moving image and art practices in Asia is the way that partly due to um, infrastructural lack, lack of support for making artistic um, cultural work uh, authoritarian, having to contend with authoritarian states. It turns artists also into people who practice and who wear lots of different hats. So the, uh, the notion of the artist organizer, the artist as curator um, is very strongly uh, operative in practice in Asia. Um, maybe you could each um, give us some sort of examples of artist practitioners, artist drug organizers. I mean, you, of course, would be example number one, but examples <laughs> of, of, of people within your network um, who very much sort of embody and exemplify that. Um. I mean, there are a lot of people um, who, yeah, there's a lot of people who were, I mean, like there's a space called Jaga in Bangalore, which was this temporary structure, and the person who runs it is a girl called Archana Prasad. Um, but it has, you know, so she's, a, she's an artist and a curator, um, and, you know, works with the community to facilitate, you know, various other kinds of different practices that she's interested in. Um, there's Yasha Shetty, who also teaches at Trishti and also runs something called the Indian Sonic Research Organization, which is an experimental sound um, uh, 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 collective. And, you know, they have gigs across the city and kind of off-sites. Um, they also, he also runs, also works as a teacher and they makes musical instruments. So yeah, so I mean, I think that people do various things. I myself, I make films, I teach, um, and uh, try to run experimenta. 
so so yeah i mean i think that there's also what is nice and i think i mean i think that there's a lot of people who are doing this and i think that that's great uh, because there aren't, you know, there aren't specific, you know, you're not compartmentalized as an arts manager or a this or a that because your job is that or because your funding asserts that or because your education has been that. I mean, all of our education has been in, like, a lot of different things and we end up in the arts. I remember in, Indon in Indonesia, tons of people have done criminology, right? <laughs> So, and everyone's in, you know, in, in at Archipel and fully into film. So that's really fresh, actually. Yeah. You know, it just becomes kind of, uh, you're not oppressed by your history in some sense or by a kind of, you know, an idea of what one should be as the ideal artist or the ideal curator or whatever. Mm -hmm. I suppose um, um, in Indonesia, that's very much the case, right? There is uh, one ex interesting example in, in uh, West Sumatra. Uh, there is one collective there, namely Gubwa Kopi. Um, this uh, group uh, came from uh, art uh, department in their campus, but uh, they do not really make uh, artworks. They only do a kind of activity collecting uh, moving image produced by the local people. So they're trying to use social media and also YouTube mostly to, and, and they invite people to record your activity, record your neighborhoods, record your uh, mother, your father, anything, and using one hashtag. And then they only collect all the, the materials. And uh, with this uh, activity, they're trying to curate the 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 images and give a new interpretation about the about the materials. So I think what Gubokopi actually do is uh, uh, make the a new kind of definition of the artist. It's not only about the it's not only about uh, creator, but also in curatorship uh, activity. Like uh, artists also become the facilitator how to you know to mediate to to mediacy of the people, to, to, to talking about the, their environment. And also, the, this, this uh, kind of project also doing by Forum Lenteng in, in one of our program, uh, Visual Jalanan, is a, a platform uh, focusing on uh, visual on the street. And we, we, we use Instagram to, and, and uh, invite uh, uh, Netizen to, to use uh, a specific hashtag visual jalanan and uh, share their their own image and what visual jalanan do is uh, to collect them uh, materials and create and become a new uh, articulation about the uh, visual uh, activities on the street and yeah uh, all the artists involved in visual jalanan is mostly working as a curator not as a creator. Mm -hmm. It's because also uh, uh, as part of our strategy to, you know, dealing with the lack of facilities because, uh, yeah, using social media is, is uh, our big change to, to, to shift all things. Mm. Thank you. I mean, in... in 
each of your cases, the it's really interesting the way that you have to take on multiple roles. Some of those mean that you address uh, a local or a national audience or a local or a national issue. And others may be more to do with um, addressing an international infrastructure of uh, art and, and cultural exhibitions. Um, in, in each of your initiatives, um, how do you sort of assess where the weight of your labor um, should lie or the balance? How do you sort of um, negotiate the multiple demands and, and, and the multiple needs that you have to be you know, addressed, to be sort of facing internally, facing externally? Um, and I suppose in particular, given the context of where we're talking here, um, how much of an emphasis do you place on initiatives that you do uh, playing a role in facilitating the sort of international exposure uh, of artists, local artists who work with moving image? Or is that more a sort of bonus or a, a coincidental thing that happens, but not really a strategic uh, purpose that you have? Um, well, I guess for my project, um, the focus is pretty much um, twofold. Um, so on one hand, we also uh, we want to um, expose international works to the local audience, um, but also by um, um, showing these works and you know getting in touch with all the um, different filmmakers and artists and organizations um, all over the world. We also want to build um, a bridge um, between the Vietnamese scene and um, other similar scenes in um, in different um, regions. Um, so yeah, it's facing um, our works as much as um, facing in internally um, to the to the local scene. Um, um, and I think this is a very important thing to do, um, especially in the context of Vietnam, because um, for a long time after the war, um, the country used to be isolated um, internationally. And um, so for a long time, um, there wasn't any um, exchange uh, between the, um, the Vietnamese scene and, uh, and other scenes. And everything just started to happen um, pretty recently, actually, um, I would say um, towards the end of the 2000s, um, that we saw um, more kind of uh, interaction between um, Vietnam and the world, uh, especially in the underground scene, you know, in, um, when, we, when it comes to more um, experimental practices. Um, so yeah, I would say um, that's a very important thing uh, for me uh, and also for um, uh, other projects as well, um, I know, um, such as Hanoi Top Left, because um, they regularly um, bring people from um, around the region to, um, to Vietnam to do workshops. And, um, and also the other part of your question, I guess, is to, um, in terms of promoting um, national works in the international context. I suppose promoting the work of um, artists rather than right. you know, national works. And, and part of the mm. reason that I ask is um, thinking about the rise of Southeast Asia as a category of artwork uh, within the institutions of contemporary art. Um, Southeast Asian art, whatever that is, it's a hot thing right now. Um, this year alone, there are major exhibitions 
um, in Japan, in the US happening at the moment, uh, under this nomenclature being classified and fictionalized for the first time as Southeast Asian contemporary art. And within that, of course, there are lots of... I, I see a hand up there. Wondering the relationship between um, the Asian countries you're talking about and the and Australia, if there is any. I think the way that Australia comes into the picture here is that Australia is a really important in terms of creating an infrastructure of exposure for works um, from Asia. Uh, so Australia was a relatively um, Australian cultural and, and contemporary art institutions, such as the APT, were relatively quick to make space for the sort of curating and the gathering of such works. Um, there are now sort of new uh, soft power uh, competitors coming into play very significantly in the context of Southeast Asia, Singapore. Um, so when I think of a global infrastructure for circulating and exhibiting um, contemporary work, artworks from Southeast Asia, uh, I think of Australia as being a, a, a very significant sort of infrastructural building player in that context. And in relation to the independent initiatives um, being sort of uh, undertaken and pioneered by Hong, Sikri and Shai, um, I think a really sort of interesting question that arises is, is how independent initiatives negotiate the relationship with big players um, in Australia, in Japan, uh, in Singapore, because um, biannuals, triannuals, art museums in those places are the places that can give exposure to some of the artists that you support. But at the same time, of course, you know, major power relations come into play. No, India doesn't, India is South Asia. So, so yeah. actually, um, you know, one is not like a part of Southeast Asia. I mean, you know, it's yeah. kind of, uh, but um, um, what? Was but I suppose that there, there are parallel trajectories in terms of, of uh, the global circulation of Southern works hmm. um, that don't just sort of happen without uh, culture policy and soft hmm. power coming into play. Sure. Um, yeah, I mean, I do think that like Korea maybe less, but like Japan, Singapore, Australia are the kind of uh, bigger players um, in comparison to Vietnam, India, Indonesia, Philippines. Uh, I mean, and I think that we should like be quite specific in terms of that we're talking about, let's say, art or media art mm -hmm. in in relation based on what we do. So. Um, yeah, I mean, for, for me, I think it's, I mean, whether it's Southeast Asia or whether, you know, Australia is a part of it or, or Thailand not. Or, I mean, I think that what's interesting is these relationships that develop based on similar, you know, issues and concerns and histories. And, um, and, and, and I think that that's really enriching and uh, for all of us operating in that region. I mean, you know, until a few years ago, we only met at like Oberhausen, you know, or uh, somewhere in Europe, and or you went to Rotterdam to look at work from Japan, from you know, Indonesia, or wherever else, um, and uh, uh, and that's kind of problematic that we actually aren't able to 
or, uh, you know, facilitate uh, relationships am amongst ourselves. And now, you know, spaces like ASEF, which is the Asia Europe funding, they have like this, you know, mobility grant that's about having artists move, uh, uh, travel to within the region. And it's really important because I think that, um, you know, versus being kind of placed in this like, oh, what's going on there, you know, in that region, here you're actually having a dialogue as equals where, you know, where we have concerns that, you know, and aesthetics that are um, quite similar. And, and that is um, much more refreshing and much more inspiring than being kind of, you know, represent, representing the outsider, you know. Mm -hmm. um, uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. When one is not, one has like, you know, complex communities and practices and histories and things like that. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. just, uh, I just wondered, um, going back to something you said earlier, yeah. sorry, um, about how um, when you have funding from Germany or Japan or Britain, I just wondered actually how it affects the censorship. What what in what form does the censorship take place? Does it affect curatorially films that you would show or wouldn't show, or does it affect the actual content of the artist's work? Or in in what sense does that happen? Um, so yeah. Um, I mean, uh, when I say uh, that we um, get funding from uh, foreign cultural institutions, um, that only means that we um, get money from them, actually, and um, uh, we no longer have any form of, um, of um, political um, immunity that we can kind of um, take advantage of. So even, um, even if a festival, for instance, is funded by um, foreign um, um, organizations. I mean, all the films still had to go through um, this um, official censorship process. Uh, so we had to, yeah, uh, we had to submit all the films um, to uh, the government for them to review and uh, for them to decide whether this is okay or not. Um, but there is there is a way to get around this, and that is not submitting uh, the films to the government and uh, kind of. Um, just like showing them basically um, in a very underground and uh, in a very kind of uh, um, small, um, kind of very underground manner. Um, for my festival, um, Out of Frame, um, last year we didn't actually submit any films to the government. And um, so that was also one of the reasons why um, we uh, decided to do um, very small screenings in uh, largely private places. and. Um, uh, that indeed worked, and we didn't um, have any problems at all with the government. Uh, I think it's also sort of a, a gray zone, basically. Um, when I say that we didn't have any problems, uh, I don't think that meant that um, the government didn't know about what we were doing at the time. But probably because um, it was so small, they decided not, it wasn't worth interfering. Mm -hmm. uh, it didn't pose any threats. Um, uh, I mean, that's mm -hmm. probably what they were thinking at the time. And sometimes the um, the decision to show work in a commercial cinema or not, that also comes into play, certainly in, in a context uh, which I'm more familiar with in Thailand, because of the way that the history of um, film censorship 
laws apply, they would tend to be in practice applied to commercial cinemas. And that's um, also why in lots of cases in Thailand after the coup of 2014, not so much now because um, the picture changes radically in Thailand after 2014. Um, but up to that point, there, you had more room to play if you wanted to show challenging work, um, politically resistant work, if you didn't try to put them into commercial cinema theatres. And quite often, actually, the people doing, effectively doing the censorship wouldn't necessarily be the censor body, but the fear of the exhibitors, the cinema chain owners themselves, that they would get into trouble. I think, I think this is quite an interesting dynamic of how censorship works. It's the way that actually the, the fear and the sense of doing things on behalf of the censors pass on to the distributors or the mediators. Shai, I don't know if you want to come in, because you mentioned also the politically the picture changing in India and how... Yeah, no, I mean, with us, actually, again, in some sense, we're under the radar as the festival, um, and they don't really care about what we show. I mean, we do have to, like, the Goethe Institute will send a list of films, but it's like, whatever, they just sign it until now. Um, but, the, I mean, the, the, the censorship is really in uh, the mainstream, in the mainstream I mean, they're too busy, like, cutting kisses and things like that, especially in the last four years, because we have this very, I mean, because they're, you know, really promoting this kind of idea of Hindu, Hindutva, um, and, you know, um, so, so, yeah, so I think they're, they're too focused on mainstream cinema, because that's, you know, what gets seen, really. So, so yeah, so I mean, I just in any case want to stay within these spaces, within the confines of spaces like this, because though the films might not, you know, one, one tries to kind of work, um, be a little clever, like you show political works that might be from Mozambique or from somewhere else, and then the dialogue that you have post the work becomes about what's happening here. So, you know, there are ways of kind of working this out. Though last year we showed, or the, yeah, 2015, we had, uh, we closed the film with uh, the festival with a very political film called Prisoners of Conscience made by Anand Patwardhan, who's quite an important uh, documentary filmmaker. And this was made in the 70s during the emergency. Um, and I was a bit nervous about showing the film, but, um, but the thing is that, so it was about another government. It was about the emergency, but the, conversation that we had was, are we at a time where essentially we're in an emergency, but it isn't official, but we're under, you know, siege essentially as a democratic system. Um, so that's what the conversation then became about in a very focused way. But the work was used to kind of, so you know, so there are ways of kind of working around that, but still experiment is too small and under the radar, I really think so. Um, I have a question that's actually more for, is it home? Yeah. Um, I noticed in the, in the particular screening that you chose, um, the aesthetic of it, the way it's sort of filmed, and really the way the camera is placed, um, in a sense, almost quite casually to where the performance is. So it's quite focused on what they're doing, the action, the gestures. Um, and I wonder, I guess in my own mind, just bring a little bit about Nassan, I say the popularity or the increasing popularity of performance work uh, by the younger artists, um, and 
So in one in one sense, the question is, I guess I wanted to ask you, because th that's my guess, um, whether you could talk a little bit more about that and how the performance art aspect of the work that they do has influenced the filmmaking. And then conversely, the other side to that question would be that, I guess, whether that generation, when they're watching the older generation, like Chen Lung and the rest, doing performance work, performance videos that become successful and that are collected for museums, whether that also then impacts, like, what they think about when they make the film. Um, um, I think the influence of, um, there is indeed, I think, um, the influence of uh, performance art in the film um, that we're showing earlier. Um, but I think uh, it came about um, pretty organically because, um, um, so the filmmaker, um, his, I mean, in Vietnam, um, it's a small scene basically. Um, in the underground, and pretty much um, everybody knows each other, and there's also a lot of um, crossover between different scenes, uh, between the um, the film uh, scene and the moving image community, and um, yeah, indeed the art, the art scene, uh, especially um, performance art people. Um, and uh, actually, a couple of people um, that we saw in the film um, are performance artists, uh, or artists are working with performance art um, in general. Um, and so I think it came out. It came about um, pretty organically. And um, in terms of uh, the influence of the older generation, um, such as people like Chen Luong and um, other performance artists, um, I think yeah, there is also um, this um, large um, influence from them um, to the younger generation. Um, and uh, indeed, yeah, you mentioned Yasan and um, you know performance art. It's a very um, can say a very big thing um, in the scene at the moment, and um, yeah, there's a lot of young artists uh, working with performance art, and um, there's also a lot of um, exchange. I think in particular with Japan, um, so they, so, um, yeah, Nyasan, uh, they do send people to um, to Japan um, to performance art festivals in Japan, and on the other hand, they also receive um, artists, um, Japanese artists, coming to give uh, workshops. Um, The sort of intergenerational relations mm. um, amongst artists um, is that does that tend to happen um, because of hanging out in the same space, identifying with the same collective, or is it also a factor of how people get taught art um, in art schools? It's pretty much just uh, everybody hanging out uh, in the same spaces, indeed. Um, and I think it's pretty. Um, I think for Vietnam, it's pretty um, interesting that there isn't really any generational gap uh, between the older generation and the young uh, people. And um, you can still see, um, you know, artists from the old generation working with the um, working and mentoring um, younger artists. And so there is a sort of um, lineage, you can say, um, um, in the scene. Um, yeah, there isn't really any distance, I think, um, between. Um, Generations in, in the Vietnamese art scene. And in terms of audience, do you think that there's a sense of like-minded, like artist communities who come and see the films, or do you reach out into the people who live next door, and the neighbors, and um, who is who's seeing this? Who is seeing the film? Hmm. Um, well, for um, for our project, so um, the Onion Cello and Another Frame, um, I always want to um, 
um, reach out to as many people as possible and you know, to um, people who are not necessarily familiar already with um, these sort of unconventional practices. Um, and I think indeed we do have um, a very healthy mix of people coming to see um, the films and you know, the, um, the bands even, for instance. Um, a lot of these people are younger, um, are from the younger generations, uh, many of them still in university or even high school, um, who, are not, who haven't actually been exposed to um, these sorts of things um, yet before they're coming to see, uh, before they're coming to the event. Um, um, but also I think yeah, sometimes it can also be a problem of, um, of the scene being too small and everybody knowing each other already and you know, um, sometimes it can be uh, an obstacle actually to, um, to more innovative works because everybody is like, already too familiar with each other and um, it can kind of um, hinder things a bit, I would say. Um, so that's the reason why you know, I always want to reach out to you know, different scenes in the country. Uh, yeah. Do people maybe don't feel confident to come because it might be critical to the system? That mm. they feel like if it's experimental, maybe I should not come? Mm. Um, well, I'm not entirely sure if they are confident uh, when they um, come to these events. I mean, I'm talking about like students, for instance. Um, but I do think that um, um, people even now are very curious. Um, so whether or not they are confident, I think they will still um, be uh, interested in you know checking out stuff happening anyway. Um, also, I think it's a question indeed of um, of like how you approach. Um, promoting these events, and you know, uh, for sure you had to make them, you know, uh, accessible in a certain way. But that also doesn't mean that you had to compromise um, um, in terms of your decisions. But yeah, it's just a matter of you know trying to um, uh, make things accessible to um, people who are not already uh, in the scene. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Maybe secret. You'd have lots of examples. Um, both in terms of what Forum Lenteng has been doing and the network that you have with spaces and, and scenes outside of Jakarta. Yeah, uh, it's the same with uh, Hang explained that uh, in terms of how to build the audience uh, to watch our works, uh, mostly the audience uh, curious about uh, what we do. And also the other strategy that we, we make is uh, to make the people uh, become a part of our activities, you know, because when you involve with the local people, they will more uh, love about the events. And this is the strategy to, 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 to increase the, the bargaining position of the event itself. And it's like to how to uh, trigger uh, like local government to, to pay attention to this uh, activity or to the event. So you can empower the, the local people, the local context and the local issue or something. Um, sorry, I have a question for you. Because you, you talked earlier about um, Rang Rupa uh, working with them. 
and a lot of their practice has been around experimenting and thinking about archives. And you talked about how that also led you to have a, a sense of how important documentation is. And that maybe underpins like a certain drive at the moment to kind of think about, I guess, the kind of broader narrative of what visual arts or contemporary arts can be in Indonesia uh, in this current time. Um, so I guess my question is kind of a practical one. So you're, if you're doing events and you're doing all these kind of different activities and workshops and you're documenting, mm -hmm. like what are your strategies for um, holding and preserving that documentation mm -hmm. uh, in the light of the fact that you know that the government is, you know, volatile or, you know, I was precarious, however, what would happen to the archive? And I only say that because, you know, I, I come from Singapore where it's quite authoritarian and various artists have discussed an issue about whether archives should be duplicated, should be taken out of the country, all that sort of thing. So I was just wondering what your thoughts are. So when I said about uh, the the Ruang Rupa movement to promoting about the awareness of the archive, it's not uh, specifically about to preserving uh, the materials because it's very difficult and it's I think it's impossible to 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 develop the this kind of institution in Indonesia because the lack of the facility and also our government not really care about this situation. But uh, what I mean with the the awareness of the archive is to trigger the, the the people about the importance of the materials. You know because we. For example, like in, in Forum Lenteng, we try to, to encourage the, uh, the young artists or the young activists talk, thinking about the, how we can use the internet materials, not really original, as the archive itself. You know, how we, we see the, 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 the virtual world as the big uh, place of archives, even though it's not original, even though it's like, uh, you know, it's like... Uh, very modified uh, material, but you can use it through your awareness about the archive. It's like it's 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 more like to change your perspective about the archive itself. So even though we have we have no good facilities about the uh, preservation and also the uh, archives, we can still produce the new the new uh, works based on the archive and. Yeah, uh, like uh, when Akumasa program uh, trying to make the to make a media center in the some uh, places together with the local collective, uh, you know they they just collect the the materials with their camera and then put it in their hard drive with no good facilities. But you know how to promote it? This awareness, you know, uh, just just say to your friends. Don't even erase your your photograph in your phone's uh, cell phone because it's important. And how to 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 promote this awareness uh, to, to to your family to your friends. And I think if if everybody have this awareness, we can dealing with this uh, lack of facility of our government. So I think we're coming up to five o'clock. Um, one last question from anyone. If not, I'd like to thank the Shai, Sikri, and Hong for um, telling us lots of important and really concrete things um, about artists and um, what's at stake in holding your ground, um, supporting independent artistic practices um, in, 
each of their respective sites. And also a big thanks to the British Council, the London Film Festival, and Lux for creating a space um, for new works and new knowledge in this festival. Um, we hope to have a chance to do more of this in future years. Thank you. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.